I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. We've got an awesome episode today. We've got Matt, also known as Aussie Firebug, on today. He's a financial blogger documenting his journey to financial independence, retire early, also known as FIRE, since 2015. He defines FIRE as having sufficient personal wealth to live without having to work actively for basic necessities. For financial independent people, their assets generate income that is greater than their expenses. In his journey, he has owned three investment properties, a principal property of residence, lots of ETFs, some crypto, and has traveled and lived in the UK. He also has his own fire calculator and annually does research on the fire community within Australia. I'm really excited about this show. We also explored the mindset shift from saving to consuming, which is definitely a very interesting conversation. This is a great episode. We're excited to have Matt on the show. But before we jump into it, we always share our money wins and losses of the week. Uh, Tash, do you want to kick it off? Yes. Um, my friend Emma and I booked a trip for next week and we got it so cheap. So we're going to Daydream Island, which is in the Sundays. But we spent $200 for return flights from Sydney and the hotel for four nights is $900 between both of us with breakfast. So it's about $600 each, which is insane to go to the Sundays for a week. That's really amazing. <laughs> mm, money win, I think. Matt, do you have one for this week? Not so much this week. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago and this is a real like standard, uh, maybe boring answer, but I emailed my mortgage broker and it was something like, Hey, I heard this competitive rates out there, you know, see what you can do for me. 
And she come back and she got me, I think, 15 basis points or 20 basis points reduction in my home loan, which if you, we've got a yep. nearly just under $400,000, um, home loan. So if you add, add it, add that up over the year, like that's a pretty significant savings. And I was really happy with that. So that was my money win for the week previous. Yeah. That's a huge money win. Yeah. Just from one email as well. Like the return on that effort is very high. Absolutely. I've been telling everyone like just email your mortgage broker or email your bank, whoever you you deal with that, um, if you've got a home loan, send them a message and it can just be a couple of sentences and the worst case, they can't get you a better rate. So what, at least it was, you know, 30, 30 seconds wasted of your time, but the payoff, if they can get you a reduction is uh, very, very big. Yeah. And do that regularly as well. I was having a chat to people on Instagram about this recently. And so many people didn't realize you could just call your bank and ask for them to reduce the rate. They were like, oh, I've never heard of that before. So very good tip. Mm. I did that a couple of months ago. And then my broker also suggested that I do it in a few months. So I'm going to try to do it twice this year because why not? You don't have to wait and do it once a year. You can ask a few times a year, especially with all the increases that have happened over the past little while. Yes. Anna, what's your win or loss of the week? Well, mine isn't as amazing as both of yours. Yours were a lot of saving money through brokers and traveling. Mine was, I spent $4 on the mini train. I took my toddler. It was a fun activity. I thought it was super cheap and fun to do. It wasn't like $30 at the zoo, only four bucks. And what about around the zoo? Oh, the zoo was $30. No, I mean, the zoo is often like $30 or, you know, $90 for a family. It's just ridiculous. Whereas this is just $4 for a little train ride. It was fun. There was uh, a little sausage. um, What are they called? The little sausage selling thing. The very Australian thing. Sausage (laughs) sausage selling thing. (laughs) Sorry. That's the Canadian in me. Um, So all up, I think we, we paid something like $10 just to have a fun little family adventure. I thought it was a win. That's incredible. That's yeah, a win in this for economy. Sure. Wow. Oh, Nothing's yeah. ever $4 at the moment. No, no. A tick tax is probably selling for $5 at the moment with the, with the inflation oh, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> I haven't thought about tick tax in years. What a, what a comparison. <laughs> there you go. Bit of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm going to kick it off with asking Matt a couple of questions. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, you've been documenting your journey now for about eight years, and I think I've been following you from the very beginning. So from what I can tell, in the very beginning, you were talking a lot about frugality and getting out of the rat race. And now it seems as though there's been a little bit of a shift because of all the blogging that you've been doing. And I don't know if that's a life life thing that has happened, but you talk a little bit more in terms of security, family planning, autonomy over your own time. I'd love to know how has your journey changed during this time period that you've been documenting it? Um, a lot. And you're making me feel old, Anna. Eight years. Yes. I've been <laughs> vlogging for eight years. I think I've been part of the following the fire community overseas and whatnot for nearly for over 10 years now, which is just crazy to think about it because I caught up with a, a bunch of mates the other day and it just, it feels like yesterday we're in, we're in high school. And now I'm 34. It's like, where has the time gone? I've got a nephew that's uh, 15 and I'm thinking, wow, like year nine, that's, I was in year nine just the other year, but no, it was like 15 years ago. So um, yes, getting old. Now to your question, a whole bunch of stuff has changed. If anyone's listened to me speak about my journey or read the blog or anything, you probably heard this story a million times. But when I first started work, it didn't, I was only doing it for about a couple of weeks when I realized like this is a lot of uh, time and life out of, out of my week that I have to give up to go to this job. And it wasn't so much that I hated work. It was, it was more just the, 
the commitment, I had to be there 38 hours a week. And when I factor in all the commute time, because my first job was a 50 minute drive there and a 50 minute drive back. So nearly two hour commute. Mm-hmm. That Brutal. sucks. Yes. And it wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. in Melbourne. It was regional Vic. So luckily it was a drive 50 minutes, like a cruise control, 100 kilometers an hour. So that's a little bit different than, you know, traffic bumper to bumper, thankfully. Oh, that still burns through fuel though. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And when I first started, I had a 1996 Ford Falcon uh, wagon, which was terrible on fuel. And I, and I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I eventually bought a, a, a classic um, car in the finance space, but a Toyota Camry. It's like the, the budget car everyone <laughs> buys. Yeah. And that was a lot better. But yes, that first car, I was burning through like a hundred dollars worth of fuel back then back in 2011 every week. And cut a long story short, I just, with everything that involved getting up, getting ready for work, um, coming home, de-stressing, everything like that, it was probably closer to, I don't know, like 60 hours a week that I had to give up to do this thing called work. And that just never sat right with me. I could just never, that was just a bitter pill for me to swallow, even though the work was, wasn't terrible. There was aspects of the job I quite liked. I had a few mates there. It was semi-interesting. You know, it wasn't the, the hated work, but it was just like, wow, that's, like, I'm going to be doing this for the next 40 years. So I first went looking for like different alternative life, life paths, we'll, we'll call it of, um, cause I, I couldn't accept it that that was the job I was going to do for the next 40 years, even though I was a bit naive because I was so young. I, I didn't realize that work got better or work generally speaking gets better as you get more experience because you can have more say, you can have more autonomy and it, it doesn't necessarily matter what industry or job you're in. Usually that trend. It is true just as people get more senior in their role. But I wasn't thinking like that at, at 21, 22. I was just like, this is how it's going to feel for the next 40 years, which is not like this can't be it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I first started my journey with a strong desire to escape that rat race, to get out of that position and do something else because there was a billion other things I wanted to do at 22. And I didn't like giving up 60 hours a week. Fast forward like seven years, I, I pretty much grinded, you know, I found the five movement. There's a whole bunch of stuff that went on, but I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, won't go into the, the long, long story. I worked and lived overseas for two years and we traveled around heaps. We've been to over 30 countries, me and my wife. But one of the best things that happened when we traveled and lived overseas was I found a new lease on life in terms of um, work and getting out of the culture and environment that I've always been a part of, which was in regional Vic, which was nothing wrong with regional Vic, but it's not as exciting, fast paced and energizing as what I found in London's private sector. It was very dynamic, very ambitious people. People were trying to change the world there. And I just, it really got me going. You'd want to go to work and that being in those meetings with people that really had a, a strong drive and purpose. I never felt that energy before. And it was very um, infectious and I, I I just loved it, to put a long story short. And that sort of changed me as a person that work can be awesome and work can be – I always knew that work was going to be a staple like at some point in the future because you can't just sit around and do nothing. But I'd never really been in an environment where it got me out of bed and, I, and the first thing I wanted to do was go to work. So that was really cool. And I guess to, to directly answer your question, Anna – sorry, this has been a really long answer – I, no, um, good. <laughs> I, I basically, my fire journey started off with a desire to get out of the rat race. And then once we built a relatively decent portfolio, um, when we returned back to Australia, I've sort of moved on to another chapter and I'm just trying to optimize more for lifestyle design. So where do I see the yep. next 10 years? I've always sort of been a man with a plan. That's yucks. Any of my mates or family, it's like, what am I doing for the next five years? What am I doing for the next five years? That's always just been me. And I'm just, I'm looking at, all right, 
the finance stuff, it, we're not financially independent yet, but we're, we're pretty close. I think last financial year, we got 44,000 in dividends, which is like a decent chunk of our expenses. Yeah. It's not everything, but that's like starting to be like, all right, that part of the equation is just going to take care of itself. The snowball's just going to keep rolling down the hill. It's going to get there eventually. Now, what do I want to do? In the last two years, I've just been grappling that with my, uh, just with my thoughts and like, what do I want to do? What do I, what do I want to achieve? What do I want to stimulate myself with um, in terms of work and everything? And that's really the big change. I started off trying to get out of the rat race, went overseas, found out that work was like amazing and it can be amazing with the right people in the right environment. And then I come back to Australia and I'm trying to recreate that environment and do other things in my life. So yeah, that's, that's my journey. Tash and I have talked quite a lot about this as well in terms of our own fire journey. I think we were both really attracted to fire and trying to accumulate as much as possible, be frugal. And then things have changed for both of us. For me, being a parent and being able to take time off from work as much as I need to be with my family and do some of those things has allowed me to live the type of life that I want. And as you said, lifestyle design. And I think Tash, similarly in your situation in terms of of work and whatnot as well. Yeah. I definitely decided that I actually really enjoyed work and I wanted more of the freedom rather than just wanting to quit completely. And I was kind of the same as well, where I was always working towards the next thing and the next plan instead of being like, what do I actually want my life to look like? So it's definitely been a little bit different. I think you can leapfrog it as well. I had an inter- interesting conversation with um, Carl Jensen, Mr. 1500 from America, and he asked me a really cool question. He's like, if you had found or you had been placed in that work environment that you found yourself overseas at 22 or 21 when you first graduated, would the Aussie Firebug website ever been created? And if I'm being honest with myself, it probably wouldn't have because why would I have gone looking for an alternative path if if I found a job that was like really fulfilling and meaningful and I really like going to, there would there really wouldn't be a reason. And I found that very interesting. It's just a cool thought experiment to mull over. It's like, wow, talk about sliding doors moments, you know, these these things that we, we choose and what happens. So yeah, work um the right work is super important, but it's a little bit of a pipe dream to say everyone can just find the job that they love. Like I, I I'm a believer in Work hard in your 20s, you know, to get yourself into a comfortable financial position so you can sort of find that meaningful work organically and you're not stressed and you don't have to rely so much on that loving job to, you know, pay the bills. I think that's a good way to do it, but you can leapfrog it and just go straight to the awesome work if you are so fortunate to find that. I think I'm excited by that because so much of my career journey has been really passionate and about my work, right? Like whether it's unpaid or not, because I've done a lot of volunteer work, having something that you feel is a part of your life, like you're actually making a difference is why people love work, right? Like I I sometimes talk to people about FIRE, you know, and I don't know if we've defined it for this podcast, financial independence, retire early. And people will say, well, why do I want to retire early? I love my job. I love what I'm doing. It's meaningful. It brings me so much pleasure. And I connect with that. I actually love that. And as you talked about your life in London, that's that's been very much my life in Melbourne, working in, in tech industry, working with people who are way smarter than me, feeling passionate about what I'm doing. So it's hard to think about that. But also, these are also people who usually make a higher wage. So it's easier to put that money aside. It's easier to achieve fire when you're making better money as opposed to someone who's working a low income job. So I think there's also a bit of disparity and the opportunity to talk about privilege in those spaces as well. It's not always, we're not always able to work a passionate job or a job that we're passionate about 
if we don't have the means to to access that. That's a good point. But there's like a way to spin that as well. Because when I was like 21, I was making $100,000 a year as a support worker and I didn't have a degree or anything back then. I think there's ways to kind of like yep. hack that a little bit and you can find higher paying roles in those industries that are still quite exciting and you're passionate about too. That, that's, sure. that, that's the like uh, Nirvana position to be in a high paid job that's that brings meaning and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so good for saving money as well because they paid for our like food and we got like all these allowances too. So if you just worked continuously, you weren't really paying for anything. It was great. Well, that that is the golden ticket, uh, Tash, for sure. But how many of the, those jobs exist? Probably not that many. If we're, and we're when you're honest. people don't want to be a support worker, like the support work industry is kind of like looked down on a little bit because it's a bit of a caring role and people are like, oh, wow, I don't want to do that. But there's lots of roles. Like it's very understaffed, but a lot of people I don't think can do roles like that. So it is a bit niche. Mm. So people who are naturally drawn to fire are usually very good at saving, but not good at spending. But the whole point of building a portfolio is to one day switch to consumption and start using the money it generates. How does one go from watching every dollar to allowing themselves to spend? Is that something that is challenging for you? Yes, this is such a good topic to um, bring up because I find uh, almost the evolution of fire. If you, if you read a lot of the blogs and listen to a lot of the podcasts, it seems to be a hot topic at the moment. Um, this idea of, okay, we've been concentrate concentrating so much on being frugal for like the last 10 years in the movement. A lot of people have reached financial freedom, have reached the end goal, and now they're stuck in the dilemma that they can't actually enjoy the fruits of their labor because <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they haven't been, they haven't done the preparation of actually switching from accumulation to consumption, which is, it's so obvious thinking about it, but no, not a lot of people. I mean, people are talking about it now, but they weren't um, in the last couple of years, all the way back to like the start of the movement, which is so, so funny. And I think for me personally, I struggle with that as well. I think a lot of people struggle with it. It's like, it's similar to like a, I don't know, like an athlete that is playing footy and they're being a professional for 15 years. And then all of a sudden their career ends and they've got to go to civilian life. And civilian uh, life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fill their time, find things to do. Exactly. It's like I've been on a, um, a regimented uh, routine that the club has told me what to eat, how to train Saturday night, the big game, you know, all the way. And I've done exact, I've done um, this life for so long. And then when, when one day I retire and it suddenly has to switch into something else, a lot of them struggle with it. It's been, it's been documented a lot, like overseas here in Australia, everywhere that unless you're like a super superstar and you can get a job on TV or something talking about the game, a lot of those players struggle to transition to another role. And I, I find the same thing with a lot of people in fire. If you do something for 10, 15, 20 years, it's very difficult to then change it. And I think most people drawn to fire are super good at saving, um, being frugal, you know, finding dollars everywhere in their life. But one day, and this is, there's a really good book written about this called Die With Zero that I think explains it a lot better than I can probably explain it here. But the whole purpose, when you make money, if you're not spending it, there is a question of what was the point of making the money? And one of my favorite fire bloggers of all time and podcasters, Brandon, the mad scientist, um, I spoke to him about this and I found his answer so interesting. He has not uh, cracked into or like drawn down from his portfolio ever. And he reached financial independence at, I think, 35 or something. And I think he's close to 40 now. And he told me in the podcast that he's yet to take a single dollar out of the portfolio and actually use it. And it got me wondering, I think I asked him, I'm like, so what What's what, the point? what was the point of yeah, mm-hmm. you know, saving all that money? And I get, I understand the um, the security aspect. It's very nice having this shield, this financial shield 
that you've got and anything that comes up in life, you know, you're covered and everything. That's, that's cool. That's like very good. But I do wonder how much time people have given up to earn money that they will never spend. And then when you factor that in, in your life, like life energy, uh, it, it's, is that, was that trade off ever worth it? I, I really think that if you're going to build that portfolio, it, the purpose should be to last you until you die. It shouldn't be to last forever. And a lot of these yeah. calculators and these conversations in fire is I want to build something that lasts forever. And, and I, th- I think now I was like, why, why would you want to do that? If you, mm-hmm. and, and this isn't to say you can't pass on some money to your kid or a charity. That's great. And this, I mean, this is talked about in the book, Die With Zero. It's like, if you want to donate your money to your kids or charity, do it. But then that's not your money anymore. You're spending that money on them or the charity. So you're using that money. So really, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, um, concept. And I think yeah. a lot of people struggle to spend money once they, they've, they've saved it. I see this with my granddad, like they're not, they weren't aiming for fire or anything, but he's 86 and he still works as his own company works like 10 hour days every day. We'll go over for lunch and he'll give us a half an hour break and then go back to work. And they're so frugal as well. Like my grandma and granddad had a fight over a $9 cheese that she bought. And he was like, why would you spend $9 on cheese? And they're like, they're pretty well off, but it's just so interesting to see that they've worked so hard and they're still not quite enjoying it. And they're still stuck in that frugal mindset. And it's kind of like, it is like, what's the point, I guess? Like, it'll be great when it gets passed down to my parents, but also like, what's the point really? Mm. My dad's a bit of a workaholic and he, in another vein, not so much money, but like the working, because he's nearly 70, 70 next year and he still gets up, he's retired, but he works all the time. And I actually, at first I was like, dad, sleep in, like relax, go watch a movie. But I've actually changed my tune on that now that he just has to, uh, well, he doesn't have to, but I think- like continuously moving and keep going is probably one of the secrets to longevity and like living oh, a definitely. long, you know, yeah, yeah like actually not retiring. Like it like has so many impacts on your likelihood of dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like totally. that. So it's really important, but like the flip as well, like you can also enjoy your money too, like buy yes. the $9 cheese, yes. like work, go for walks, buy the $9 cheese. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one thing to stay active and try to do things and whether that's work or philanthropy or you know, charity, as long as you're keeping your mind fresh and you're moving, that's great. But then the other side of that is that mindset that, that I think you're talking about, that frugality. I think it comes down to identity. And my identity for the longest time has been to be frugal and therefore to change the way that I spend is actually an attack on my identity. Or at least that's how I think that it plays into the whole fire movement. Because for so long, People talk about frugality. People talk about investing everything, about building, um, of increasing the gap between your expenses and your income, right? Like all of that has been focused around that. And then all of a sudden your identity shifts and now it's like, well, I can spend the money and I can buy the $9 cheese and I can go <laughs> on the holiday and I can sleep in. That identity shift is so hard for people. And I think that if you want to make lasting, changing habits, it comes down to identity. They're the ones that last the longest. If you've ever read Atomic Habits, they they talk a lot about identity and changing habits around that. And I think identity is the big one. So if you identify with fire, how does that change? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like my whole Instagram was built around me sharing my net worth and building my net worth and stepping back a little bit and being like, actually, I don't want to just build wealth endlessly has been quite a bit of a shift as well and not trying to earn more every single year. But it's a bit hard to step back and be like, actually, my worth isn't tied to how much money I have. Mm. Mm -hmm. I I actually think that financial independence or the mastering of money itself should really be a means to an end eventually. You should like the money equation 
should be solved. You almost climb that mountain and then it's time to move to another mountain of, mm-hmm. I don't know, self-worth, purpose, meaning, something else. But people get stuck. Like Maslow's on- hierarchy. Once you reach the top and you're at self-actualization, like what else are you going to do now? Like you've yeah. reached that. Exactly. It's People get stuck on the first mountain and I totally relate to it as well. It's like I gave up a lot of money not uh, going back to full-time work straight away when I got back to Australia. And that sort of ate at me. I, I kept looking at the net worth and it's, you know, it's still moving in the direction I wanted to, but not as fast as it otherwise would have if I went back to full-time work. And even though I know I'm like, I don't want to go back to that job because it's it's not fulfilling anymore. It's still, you know, annoyed me. I'm like, oh, geez, but I'm missing out on money. I'm missing, I'm giving up 110 grand or whatever it is in that job. Mm-hmm. So I get it, guys, like everyone out there that struggles with it that it's very, very difficult. But I think once you break it and don't get stuck into that one more year syndrome, that you actually make that leap of faith and you retire from the rat race. That's my definition of fire, retiring from the job that you only do or you predominantly do for money and you switch to something else. Once you do it, there's no going back. But actually making that leap of faith is really difficult and some people can never do it which is a bit sad. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were happier once you switched over? Like, Oh, absolutely. To- absolutely. So it's, it's hard, right? That shift of seeing your net worth maybe not moving as quickly as you would yeah. have previously, but your happiness level has gone up. And that, <laughs> again, it's a hard identity shift to be like, totally. well, but I'm happier, Yeah, but I don't have the money. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> don't- money But what's the happiness? point? <laughs> I don't like even, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I have stopped reading fire literature there's a few people I still, you know, like to keep up to date, but I'm more invested in them as a person. I'm not really interested in the math, the investing stuff anymore. I'll always read like here and there, but like at the start, I was obsessed with that stuff. And now I really feel like the money side, it's, it's taken care of. I'm like, yeah, that's already sorted. It's going to snowball into where we want it to be. What's next? What am I going to do? Like it's, I'm more interested in, yeah, well, like we, the first question, lifestyle design and what that looks like in the future. That's what motivates me and like what I'm into at the moment. I feel like I've kind of almost like I haven't reached financial independence at all, but I've kind of reached that similar mindset too, where I know that I can make the money and I'm trying to design the life that I want now instead of endlessly working towards the future, but kind of having that shift towards you don't have to endlessly build, like the money will come. What do you want? What do you actually want to do next? Yeah, it's a fine balance. But I think that's because a lot of people do the math and they're like, I might need a million dollar portfolio and they're working towards that. Whereas other people are like, hey, I've saved an amount of money that allows me to adjust my life into the lifestyle that I want, the lifestyle design. So whether it's, you know, starting my own business or quitting my job and doing some uh, couple side hustles or whether it's taking a longer parental leave, whatever it might be, that might not have been there had you not started investing from the beginning, had you not started Mm. your journey and started shifting in terms of what you value, like why, what's your why, right? Like we go back to this all the time. What's your why? What kind of life do you want? And that's the most important part. Yes. Agreed. So I'm very excited about this question because Tash and I talk about this as well quite a bit. I know you often get asked if you were to go back in time, would you focus on property investing or get straight into ETFs? I know it's an impossible question. I mean, we'd all go back, we'd buy crypto, we'd buy Tesla, you know, (laughs) we we would be rich. But can you talk a little bit about how the different positives and negatives of starting with property versus just investing if you were at the beginning of your fire journey? Sure. And you're so right. The power of hindsight like would make this question very easy to answer. But I'm assuming that when most people ask this question, they're they're not thinking like that, that you can just invest in Bitcoin and whatnot. This is... To your point, an impossible question to answer, but I always like to say, and I, this is generally my thoughts on the whole property versus shares debate 
in general. And I think people can get wedded to an investing style, which is never a great thing to do. It's just what's work, what works best for you in the time of your life that you're investing. I think that's generally um, what you should be going for. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Generally speaking, I think property has more problems to solve. That's always been my take on it. So if you've got some sort of skill or you're bringing something to the table, I know a lot of mates around my hometown that are sparkies, that are builders, that are plasters, whatever, they can bring something to the table and they know they can see a deal in a property that I would not be able to see and they can clean up. I know, I know plenty of people locally that have done really, really well because they, they know something. They know how to work the uh, application, like the planning system at councils. They know exactly what to do or that could be subdivided very easily or you could put a granny flat on that, something like that. Problems to be solved, property has a lot more of them. Whereas problems to be solved in the share market, in my opinion, you would have to be some sort of freak of nature investor to get an edge on the army of analysts out there, unless you work in some sort of industry that's super duper niche and you, you just know you're like, you've used the, the, the product that the company, like this is, this is the best, you know, this is going to do really well. I can't believe how undervalued it is. Like, unless you've got some sort of edge, I don't see, and I think the literature backs this up pretty substantially that you're not going to beat the professionals when you invest in the share market over a long period of time. You could get lucky um, once or twice picking individual stocks. However, in the property market, because there's so much physical work involved, you're not going to get, you're not going to be competing with the same army of analysts from the banks or big investors because that's small fry stuff to them. They're looking at developing big commercial supermarkets and massive multi-million dollar complexes. They're not going to be bothered with a $500,000 house in, you know, Latrobe City. So you're actually competing against other mom and dad investors, which you've got a lot better chance to win that game than you do the stock market. And I definitely think that, yeah, property has the whole leverage play as well. But but I just think that you can make more money in less time, but you have more risk with property. Yeah. Generally speaking, this is so general. Like there's so many specific examples that where this isn't the case, but I, 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 that's my general view on it, that if you're going to go a passive style ETF versus you're going to invest in property, do you have the time and energy and are you bringing something to the table in property? Are you solving a problem with property? If you are and you can be bothered, that might pay off really, really well. I know personally in in me and my wife's experience with property, we made as a percentage-based return um, annualized after tax way more in properties. The three We only had three properties, bought and sold all now. It's the, all our wealth is in um, passive style ETFs. We made way more in property than we did, than we'll ever make in passive style ETFs. But we put in a lot more hours in the property. Mm. We were there on mm. weekends. We were adding, we were doing renovations. Renos, we, we were yeah. painting. We, 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 I built a deck with my old man. Like we did heaps of stuff with the properties. 
but the return. So we, more risk put up. Um, more effort, risk, effort, and e- exactly. Return, but yeah. I just think the effort is not worth the. What's the saying? The juice is not worth the squeeze with property mm-hmm. at the moment for me and my wife mm-hmm. because we're. I'm in the like we're in a position where we don't need to do that. But in my twenties, hell yeah, I was like, give me like go, let's go to a property, let's put in sweat equity, and let's get that return. I was all about that life. Now at thirty four, nah, I've got better things to do on my weekends <laughs> than fix up a property. Um, so I don't think like cut a long story short, I've been yabbering for a bit. Sorry guys. But I think that, um, there is no perfect asset class. It's whatever suits your investing style best. And generally speaking, I think property could probably make you more money in less time, but you take on more risk. Very well put. I like to say that my shares don't email me like my tenants do. So that's why I like my shares better. I'm a hundred, we're a hundred percent shares. And that's what I love about <laughs> shares. Yeah, definitely. But you're not going to get that. A property goes from 600 to 850 in two years with shares, unless you're picking individual shares. And like I said, I don't think, I don't like your chances of doing that in individual shares. Whereas, yeah, yeah, that's my take. Yeah. The leverage is huge as well. Like I think with mine, it's so positively geared and I don't really put any money in and my mortgage is still fixed for another year and a half. So for me, it's great. But previously I was like, oh God, property, like I don't want any more emails from tenants. I don't want to fix the toilet again. I'm just over it. Yeah. But money-wise, it makes sense. Mm, mm. Yeah, I definitely have a love-hate relationship as well because had I not had my apartment, it wouldn't have afforded me to to purchase the house that I wanted to buy, right? But at the same time, those emails and, you know, I had a property in Canada having to deal with the tax implications was, <laughs> I'm so glad it's gone. So glad it's gone. <laughs> Whereabouts in Canada, Anna, did you have the property? Vancouver. Oh, I was going to yeah. say, that, that's like the most expensive place in Canada, I right? Know. I know, which is, yes, and which is why a lot of people just look at, you know, what you bought and sold it for, but they don't take into account all of all of the work that you had to do, maintenance, uh, strata fees, dealing with tenants, like all of that does add up as well. It, it, it is a huge amount of effort. Yes. And people never, people don't factor in the most important asset that they have, which is time. So sometimes yes. <laughs> they'll be like, oh, it, it, like I, I bought it for 400 and I sold it for 700. Look at that profit. But they haven't factored in the 400 hours of effort that they did in their renovations at work or whatever. It's like, that's the most important thing. How much do you get paid um, in your job? How much do you like think that you're worth? Yeah. What's your hourly rate in life? Yeah, exactly. And I like to put my hourly rate in life uh, like very high. If I'm going to do something these days, unless it's fun and I'm learning something, I'll just outsource it usually. Well, especially as you get older, right? You don't have as much time. When I was, you know, 18, sure, I had all the time in the world because I didn't value my time. (laughs) Now I do. That shift happens as well, right? Yeah. And you, and I'm all about, you got to, if you can hustle when you, when you're in your early twenties, like do it in that, that like, the frame of mind, if you, if you're working a job that pays well, but is crap, I can like, I can conceptualize that's a okay thing to do. Cause you got to build up your financial shield and then, you know, do what you want to do. It's, it's the people that are working a low paying job that they hate that unless you're forced to do it, like if you're like a single mom or something, okay, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. But why would you stay in that sort of job? Like if you have the opportunity to look for something else, do it. And most people stay in that sort of job or that situation just because maybe they're scared to change or um, they're afraid of like getting out there. They don't want to go back to school to study or something. But like, man, does it pay dividends? If you can do it young, like if, if anyone out there that's listening is in a job that they don't like and they're young enough to make a change with like they don't have dependents relying on them, like just do it. 
because your future self will thank you 10 times over. Gosh, not even young enough. I just feel like in general, people need to change more and just be like open to change. I know there's so many other things that come with that. There's so many people who are like, I hate my life and I hate this. It's like, why don't you just do something else? And they just create all of these barriers that don't really exist. And they could just try something new. They could save for six months, have a buffer and then go and do something different. I was going to say, there's a bit of a defeatist mindset with some some people, groups, or like, you see it online as well, that it's like it's almost like cool to be, to whine about things and complain. Oh, and TikTok at the moment, like everyone's just like, oh, I'm never going to get ahead, so why would I bother? Why am I going to even bother starting because I'm not going to get there? It's like, nah, don't do that. Exactly. And I, I don't want to be judgy or anything, but like that rubs me the wrong way if people defeat themselves in their mind before they even begin. And I can give you like a, an example I hurt my back in a jujitsu tournament last year, which is a this martial arts thing that I do. And I went to the physio and they gave me a whole bunch of exercises. And it took me, I'm not kidding you, like nine months of rehab, not going to the physio every time, but just trying different things and exercising, strengthening different muscles, the whole works to finally get myself in a position where I was pain-free. And I just couldn't accept, I'm like, people would tell me, you're 34. This is what happens to your body. When you get old, no. you just start to get sore. And I'm like, I just don't, like, I'm not sure that's correct. And I was even hearing it, you know, some people, the physio was like, oh, aches and pains are normal. I'm like, yeah, but like this, I feel this, something's wrong here, you know? And I worked really, really hard and it was bloody difficult because I, because I went through so many exercises before I got, you know, the right ones to get myself pain free. But the point I'm getting at is so many people would just give up and just be like, this is my life now. Let's pop a pain pill. Let's just make this pain go away. I'm just going to be, you know, in a bit of discomfort for the, for the rest of my life. Like I've just accepted that, accepted that defeat. And I'm not saying like there's some people that do have like a medical condition or they, you know, bulging disc or something that legitimately have pain. But I find that, especially in like Australian culture, that a lot of people just are happy to be like, all right, this is my life now. I'm just accepting defeat. And I try not to do that with, with, with things. Yeah. I kind of see that quite a bit where everyone just sees the end, like the end product. And they're like, oh, you're so lucky. And like, you've kind of done all this stuff, but like everything's worked out really well for you instead of viewing the whole journey and being like, well, what can I take from that? And what can I do for myself to make my life better? And I know there's a like, big privilege plays into it for sure, but the mindset's huge and being able to achieve this stuff. Mm, especially with the money. Um, a question I'm really interested in. I was lucky enough to see your big reveal last year in Melbourne. I think it was. Um, you used to be fully anonymous online and now you're only somewhat anonymous, but guard your digital privacy. Has this shift been challenging or empowering or something else completely? Yeah. So this, I originally, I started the blog anonymous and I still am very like pretty anonymous. Like you said, I I, I do guard my digital privacy uh, pretty uh, highly or strictly still. I guess I, I first started blogging anonymously because I didn't want my boss to find out, even though I had no idea that even like, I remember the first hundred people read my blog. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I could, like, could not believe that people were interested in what I was writing. And I just never thought it would really go anywhere. But I, in the back of my mind, I was like, if it does, I don't want my boss to find out because I don't want to get, I don't want to miss out on a promotion potentially because if they read, oh, I'm going to retire. They, they, they shouldn't, but they probably will look at that and be like, well, why would we promote Matt if he's going to leave? So I didn't want that to happen and potentially miss out more money. Um, but now like I'm my own boss now, so it doesn't really matter. And I'm slowly coming around to the idea of fully revealing myself, even though I did at that Rask event. And you can look at that up on YouTube. Like you can find me. Um, I just, I don't know. It's this weird. I, I just. 
eventually will slowly come out, I'm sure. But at the moment, <laughs> yeah, coming out of my shell. But at the moment, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I still like, it's it's a bit of like safety, you know, that if something blew up on the website or something, I could turn everything off and there'd be very little digital footprints of who I actually am, even though yeah, it, it shouldn't matter. Um, so I have my identity fully online and I always get asked like people like, oh, what are you worried about this thing in 20 years time happening to you? Or what are you, are you worried about someone thinking this about you or your future? But I found for me, it's been more beneficial and I get more opportunities from it, but it's definitely really interesting still that like stigma around sharing how much you earn and how much money you have and still wanting to kind of keep that a bit more hidden. Mm. Yeah. I've missed out on opportunities before because I wouldn't put my real name to like the article that they were writing um, about in the magazine. But I don't know. I've been, I'll probably, yeah, that's a major reason that I uh, accepted like the YouTube stream because I really wanted to go to that event in Melbourne. So I think eventually I won't care as much. I don't know. It's a weird one. You got, you guys got me thinking now. So it is like terrifying as well. Like, like you said, you can't take it back and people yeah. like, I don't know, kind of attach you a little bit more when there's like the person and they can see you, but you also get more hate from that too. So it's like pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think in the future it will be, yeah, I'll, I'll do a, like a page or something. I have me and the wife. Like I, I think one day I'll, I'll do the whole reveal. I'm excited for a TikTok. Uh, I'm not <laughs> on TikTok. with Matt and his wife. I'm not on TikTok, no. <laughs> you, you heard it here first on our podcast. I think I was um, really surprised. I don't know why when I first met you, but I just like build up all these anonymous people in my head to be like, I don't know, not quite human. And then when I met you, I'm like, oh, you're just like a normal real human and you're great and you're nice. And you're like, I don't know. It was just interesting to see because when you just read someone's blog, you're like, oh, they're this completely like mythical creature. Uh, but really like everyone's just a normal person too. For sure. For sure. I've had a few people say that. It's like you uh, um, completely different to what I envisioned. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but okay. That's no, good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. <That's> good. yeah. <laughs> I think um, because I've listened to your podcast, just seeing where the voice comes from was what I what I was thinking, you know. Oh, it makes sense. They connect now. They connect. I feel like with um, I met Captain Fi as well, and he kind of seemed like his personality online. But with you, it was a bit different because I think with Captain Fi, it was like he had his pilot identity and everything. But with yours, I didn't have like those little aspects to kind of pull off in the same way. Yeah. It's, it's funny what, how much you can like make up a character just based on a voice. And I, that's one thing I didn't predict. I actually had someone at a market in my hometown. I was talking to him and he said, do you have a podcast? I'm like, yes. Like he had no idea who I, we're not mates or anything. He's, he's like, are you Aussie Firebug? I'm like, how the hell did you get that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I recognized your voice. I'm like, really? Like that blows Surely me away. Not. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. like, what? And he said, yeah, like I, as soon as you started speaking, my ears picked up. I'm like, wow, that, that is bizarre. So I did not predict that would, I didn't really think people would be able to recognize me from my voice ever in a million years, but yeah, it happened. So. There you go. That's a pretty awesome story, but also scary yeah. <laughs> to be like, oh, my voice. Well, yeah, I was more, I was with the wife and she was like, oh my God, like how good must that guy be at recognizing voices? I'm like, yeah, that's the first time that's ever happened. So bizarre. I'm going to ask our last question. Um, for anyone starting on their fire journey, what is the biggest challenge you think there is in doing so? And what is the one piece of advice you'd give them? It's a great question. Plenty of challenges depending on your situation. I would say probably the biggest one that most people will find themselves in is not convincing, but depending on what life you live and the friendship group you have and the family members that you have. And if you have a significant other as well, you might need to dramatically change your lifestyle if you want to reach the financial independence goal in 10, 15, 20 years, depending on what sort of life you live. And that can impact your 
social group a lot. If your social group is built around the fact that you have Thursday night drinks, Friday night, you're going out somewhere, Saturday night, you're getting wasted, like depending on what, what age you are as well, of course. Uh, it's <laughs> Sunday, you go play golf. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Brunch on Sunday to catch mm-hmm. up. Like that's awesome. But there, I mean, you have to pick and choose what you want in life. And if you've identified that financial freedom is quite important to you, then you might need to um, change your lifestyle. And I was always a massive tight ass growing up, so I didn't even need to change it that much. But still, that, that, that conversation around, all right, we go into the pub like two times this week. Matt goes, but he doesn't drink. Like he'll, I, I was the guy with like a, a, a whiskey flask, you know, in my, my jacket <laughs> pocket. One, because I liked it, but two, you know, saved me money. And yeah, you just, it might be difficult to, still be not friends with those friends anymore, but just like your life might change and how that affects your um, social surroundings. And especially the significant others are a massive one. If you're, if you've built a life with another person that involves going on an international holiday three times a year, you know, doing all these extracurriculum activities, that's very difficult. And unfortunately I don't have that experience. So I can't really tell you what to do in that situation, but that would be super duper difficult. I know that's a, a common one that gets asked on the Facebook group and emailed to me. So just dealing with that and maybe learning to not care what others think outside your social network is, is quite important. And if you don't have that um, thick skin, that might be very difficult. The, the one piece of advice I would say, and this goes back to both of your points that you brought up, is you really, really want to laser, laser in on the why of FI. Why are you saving this money? Because, man, I'm telling you, if you don't have a strong why, and a lot of people don't, this is the crazy thing. You'll ask them, why do you want to be financially independent? Uh, like, what do you want to do once you reach it? And they, they, they freeze up and they don't know, you know, what to say. It's, it's probably better if you don't know which direction you want to take in life. I would rather someone build up a financial security than not. You know, that's all, that's mm-hmm. probably the better of the two options. Like, so if you're just, you're still trying to find yourself what you want, where you find meaning, all that stuff, then great. Build up a financial nest egg. That's good. But if you're going to continue building up and especially if it's going to impact other areas of your life with sacrifices, then you need to know exactly why you're doing it. And I think that being super deliberate about by X date, and this is why I'm built, so it might not work for everyone. I understand that. But by my end of my 20s, I want to be here. I want to have done this. By the end of my 30s, I want to be here. I want to have done this. How can my financial um, independence journey assist with those goals? Do I have goals? Have I written them down? Like that's super important stuff. And I know it can be a bit airy fairy, some people listening, but, but it really does work. I'm, I'm, I'm really a strong believer in writing those goals down and then working towards them. And the, yeah, that would be my biggest thing. Find your why, your burning desire on why you're on this journey, because that is going to help you in times where you're questioning everything and you're thinking, why am I even doing this? This is really hard. If you have that why written down, you can look at it and be like, yeah, that's why I want to do it. Absolutely. I put myself in that frame of mind again, and that will give you the motivation to eventually reach your goal. Amazing. So many incredible pieces of advice. I love the friends one. Find friends who'll support you. And that can be hard. I mean, that can be super, super hard, especially I think every person, if you're older than like, I don't know, 25, you've probably been through this experience where you've got a childhood friend, which you love dearly, but you just grow apart from. And maybe not all the time, actually minority of the time, but like they, some people can be toxic in your life. And they can bring you down. And I, I refer to them as like some people, unfortunately, they're, they're downers. They bring you down. When you hang around them, when you're in their presence, 
you you leave that conversation or that activity feeling worse than when you started. And they are unfortunately like terrible friends to have. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but like you want to have as little downers in your life as, as you can. You want to have uppers, people when you meet them and you hang out with them, you feel inspired, you feel energetic, you feel like you can do anything in life. They're the best people to have around you. And the really hard choice or not choice, but the really hard situation is when you've got family that are downers. And I thankfully don't have that, but that's super duper hard because unfortunately you can't, there's nothing you can do about that if you've got family members. You just or- pack up and move states and set more <laughs> boundaries in place. <laughs> like that's worked with my friends, I okay, guess. Okay. Or like just with move meeting to new people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, move countries. Move like then you have to be more intentional about it. True, <laughs> true. Family's a harder one though. Yeah. Have to call yeah. them. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us. This is such a good chat. There's so many good points in here. I feel like we've got so many more podcast ideas to come off this as well. No worries. My pleasure, guys. Love what you guys are doing. And um, yeah, really enjoyed this conversation too. It was, it was really good. Where can everyone come find you if they don't follow you already? Uh, just Google Aussie Firebug. You'll find me. I've got the website, aussiefirebug.com. I'm on Spotify and iTunes and anywhere you listen to your podcast. Um, again, Aussie Firebug, you'll find me. The Facebook group is really good as well. Oh yeah, the yes. Facebook group. Yes, yes. We're... Uh, I think we're like 22,000 members or something like that. We make it really difficult, just FYI for people that are joining, because I get emails all the time. It's hard to get into the group because so many people don't read the rules. So if you're going to join, there is a secret code to join the group. Okay. So you need the secret code because I don't know if you guys run the Facebook group or a Facebook group. There is so many bots on Facebook, like spammers, people trying to steal your money and stuff. And they are so clever. I don't know how this artificial intelligence world like they get in they answer all the questions perfectly and then two days later they'll start spamming all these you know comments and get people to join some other group or like send me bitcoin or blah 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 so we make it really difficult to join and you might yeah just it has a secret code read the instructions, read the instructions. Read the it's worth it yeah, it's, worth it. it's a good group <laughs> thank you thank you awesome Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367 and Perla, who is an authorised representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.